Rusty Quill presents. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Tonight's broadcast is brought to you by Minerva's Lemon Agitators. Your citrus giving you the squeeze? Lacking the grip to liven up your lemon? Slippery fingers mean you can't produce the juice? Minerva's Mechanical Lemon Agitators will bring your citrus continuance to an exciting climax that you deserve and will have you feeling relaxed and satisfied. Minerva's Agitators. Save your regrets for tomorrow. Those close that keep us safe in the dark when there are terrible whispers to steal us away. Those tiny hands we know every inch and curve, every digit, no one else will do. The intuitive belief of the life force in an object, the way a knotted rag or chipped face is the face and cannot be replaced. The attachment, the essence. Remember me when I am gone away. When you can no more hold me by the hand. In a cloud of ash, Maisie the curio had been stolen out of her makeshift dresser bed and stuffed in a dirty bag along with her doll, Mr. Fitz. Her fate was anyone's guess, but likely dire. 
The fate of the remains of Owen McCleary were no longer a mystery, as they had been put on display in the foyer of textile maven Edmund Green, an elaborate lighted case. His ward's governess charity suitor loathed the sight and retired early from his reveal party, only to spill drunk and dizzy to the end of the bed frame, cracking her ring finger. Hughes, a suspended constable, was hired to track down the institutionalized sister of a rich matron, Madame Viola. His inspector colleague Bennett had broken the news that the lost sister had been sent to a long-abandoned madhouse called Ludlow. Tough news for anyone, but tougher for a hard case like Madame Viola. And it was in the morning glint off the metal knocker that Hughes reconsidered right as he was about to pull the bell. Hughes met Viola and her servant Pumble and her two daughters in the parlor tea was served. Constable, I didn't recognize you out of uniform, Viola said. Hughes tried to sit up straight, held his tea, but the shake in the saucer gave him away a bit. On a rest, madam, helping out where I can, he said. So, Pumble tells me you've come to some information as to my sister's whereabouts? From what I can remember, she had troubles, and the family needed for her to go to a specialist retreat at a wellness sanitarium where she could get and find the best care. Problem is, I cannot seem to find the right papers that show her transfer, her treatments, or her discharge. There has also not been correspondence from which my mother said there was quite a good amount over the years. I've lost track of my long-lost sister Vivian Voldat, maiden name, of course. I assume she's been married by now and may even have children. I want Cooper and Cornelia to meet their cousins. So, resting Constable Hughes, do tell me. What did you find? Hughes noticed an uncomfortable air in the room. As Viola spoke of her sister, Pumble lightly cleared his throat and looked at his shoes. Cornelia and Cooper kept sharing glances, and as Hughes caught them, they shook their heads a little as if what Madame Viola was saying might be at least a little apocryphal. Hughes took a deep breath, stirred his tea, and sighed. He couldn't bring himself to say it, so he reached in his pocket and handed Viola a section of paper. Pumble intercepted it and unfolded it to hand the Viola on a small tray. But he read the word upside down and his face fell. Viola chastised him. What? She snatched the paper off the tray. Her face hardened and she looked at Hughes. No. Not possible. What? Cornelia and Cooper asked in unison. Viola tossed the paper on the table in view of the girls. It read one word. Ludlow. No, Viola repeated. She stood and faced a painting of her parents, pulled a handkerchief out of her pocket and stared. I'm afraid so, madam. I had the inspector check the records. Only one Vivian Voldat, and she was a registered guest at Ludlow for something called neurasthenia and administered moral treatments. It's been closed for many years. I couldn't even say if it's still standing for a certain... I can look into some city archives. Maybe there's more to the story beyond that. Our records only show... There was an uncomfortable silence as Viola clenched the handkerchief tighter. Pumble, get my travel bag. And ready the car. Madam? Now! Viola shouted. Pumble rushed out of the room. Hughes tried to protest, but just wanted to get out of there as quickly as possible. The room had taken a subtle shake coming from within Viola. Grandma wouldn't lie, would she? Cornelia asked. What's Ludlow? Cooper asked. 
Ludlow Mental Sanitarium was at one point the latest in progressive health treatments for long-suffering residents who needed a break from the stresses of city life. The roster of famous doctors and psychologists grew as did the advancing edge of science and treatments. The sanitarium expanded to embrace those of difficult means and downtrodden life given to shake and taken to drink or excessive indulgences. Efforts put forth to bring many back from the edge of manic visions and back to functional society. An orphanage was added and members were put to work with tasks around the facility as well as running a laundry for local businesses to generate extra income beyond the grants from rich families. Rumors and secrets existed that always abound about such places. Mistreatments, spooky leftovers from madness floating through the halls, possessions. All good fodder for scaring children into acting right. Quit acting like that or we'll send you to Ludlow. An unfortunate byproduct of all such places and the latent fear of losing control. The real horror was from the family members left behind. Ludlow became a convenient place to drop off family members not acting in line with whatever the social order defined in the moment. And as soon as they were within its walls, they were easily forgotten. The staff at Ludlow was an insufficient family, and many people were left to drift into dust long after their treatments were over. As specialism in technology grew, treatments allowed for less long-term stays, or even treatments in a doctor's office in the city. Most of the doctors moved into their own small clinics downtown, found a niche treatment market like electromesmerism or wound manipulation, and left the intensive long-term care to others. The number of patients dwindled. The doctors left. For a while, only the orphan laundry survived, and then Ludlow closed years ago. The orphans pushed into the wind, and Ludlow slowly vanished off of maps to become nothing but a scary bedtime story. Pointing down decrepit roads on the outskirts of the city, that must be the road to Ludlow. Maisie was freezing cold, jostling around in a creaky carriage and stuffed into a dirty bag. The smell of coal ash and dank tobacco. Every bump sent her up in the air and crashing back down against the boards. She held her doll, Mr. Fitz, as close to her as she could. A voice had come out of the dark. Nimble, crooked fingers had abducted her from her blankets and lurched out the window, tossed her into a carriage and bars like a circus animal. She kept hoping for a familiar voice to come and free her. But by the wind, she could tell that they were far from her home, or anyone. She pushed a finger out of the cinched bag and loosened it enough to see a glimpse out of the bars in the open night sky. It was clear and away from any streets or gaslights, speeding down worn and rocky roads further into the cold, the driver repeating the same rhyme over and over and over. The palsy palsy plagues my pulses when I I prig your pigs or pullin'. Your, your culvers take or matchless make, your scent to clear the sullen. Maisie closed her eyes and placed her head against the planks. She replayed her curio training in her head. She focused away from her fear, quieted her breathing and started to slowly document everything she could from the environment around her. The chill of the night air, how humid it seemed. Were they near water? Did she hear any birds or animals? How did the earth sound? Dusty? Muddy? Gravelly? Paved? 
The carriage, what did she see? What did she have to the touch? What was it made of? Were the wheels loose? Did the shocks squeak in a certain way? His voice, that rhyming voice. She knew the legend. If this were myth or a man, she could crack the puzzle of him. Give her time. She'll figure it out. The palsy. She listened to the rhyme, to the voice. When I pray, listened for accents, cadence, a lisp, anything that would give away facial structure. Missing teeth or injury. She took herself out of this place. Out of the body of a little girl. And floated in the moment. Being only a gold-trimmed recording horn. Documenting every vibration and sound. And etching it deep within her. Any scrap could be useful. The number one job of a curio was not to feel, but to listen. The carriage slowed. Giant iron gates creaked open. The carriage rode past and they creaked closed again. The black Volga rolled the gravel yard to the back belching cold towers. Maisie looked at Mr. Fitz and whispered, You do? Okay, I will. She stuffed him into her nightshirt. Colefinger jumped off down into the dirt, kicked the side. Wake up! He opened the side, grabbed the bag and dragged Maisie through the small rocks. He opened a large metal door and dumped her out of the bag. Dry your tears, little one, he mocked her. You're home now. He lit a candle and gestured around with his bent frame. The light revealed an industrial room. Metal hooks and chains hung on the walls. Maisie tried to be brave, but it was too much. She started to cry again, did everything she could to fight it back down. Oh, such tender feelings. Little glowing embers inside you. I am but a shadow, escaped from a bed of blackened coal. He graced his fingers over her cheek and then snatched Mr. Fitz, sticking out from her collar. You won't be needing this. He tossed him on the desk, piled with dolls and stuffed toys. On top of them was Matilda, Ivyanna's doll. Maisie resisted. No! She shouted as she tried to claw for Mr. Fitz, but Colefinger pulled her out of the room and up the stairs, kicking through two more sets of doors and into a hallway set of rooms. He opened one up and threw Maisie inside. Two other girls were curled up in different corners. One was sitting up, looking distraught with her back on the wall. The other curled up with her arms and legs under her, a neck collar chained to the wall behind her. Maisie picked herself up off the floor. The girl squinted in the low light and then brightened. Maisie, she said. Ivy, Maisie recognized her immediately. Back at Mulberry. Charity Suter was nursing a mean hangover. Intimidated by the society crowd of a party the night before, She'd had too much to drink and found herself face first at the foot of her bed after the big reveal. 
It had not gone as she planned, hoping to charm everyone and credit Edmund for an amazing artistic achievement. Instead, it was grotesque, both her behavior and the display. Those poor man's remains on display for everyone to see, hardly a display for polite society or a child, especially a sensitive one like Enoch. Edmund, of course, loved it, thinking as a reverence evidence of youthfulness and unpredictability. Her blinds were drawn, the light of the day between the gap a light yellowish gold in the room, too bright still for Charity's eyes. She held her hand up and felt an intense soreness in her finger. She must have injured it in her fall, and someone had bound it to her middle finger for healing. A bowl with an ice bag and some tablets on her bedside. She gulped at the water until she realized that Enoch had been standing at the corner of her bed just out of view. Hello, Enoch, she said. No lessons today, okay? You can read your books quietly until lunch. Enoch slid the storybook Charity had been reading to him onto the foot of the bed. The teacup groom. Ah, yes, you want to know what happens to Mr. Fairbanks. Well, so do I. But I'm a little unwell at the moment. Can you see if Edmund might read to you? She knew this was an impossibility. Or perhaps you can a bit later, after I've risen to meet the day. She finished the water and poured herself another glass, the finger wincing with every gesture. She really didn't feel well. Something felt off more than the hangover. She was hoping she hadn't caught a flu. Enoch walked to her bedside and scooted a bowl of thin mock turtle soup sitting on her nightstand. She hadn't noticed it. It had gone cold. Oh, I didn't see this. Thank you, Enoch. Miss Souter is on the mend. She sat up and took a bite of cold soup, a little annoyed that even in this moment, she couldn't have time for herself to recover. But she reminded herself. She'd asked for this. Enoch left the room. Charity breathed deeply and wondered who had undressed her last night. She came out from under the blankets and put her dressing gown on, took another bite of soup and tried to fix her hair. The room spun and she sat down on the edge, accidentally brushing her bruised finger into the bed and she yelped. Enoch came back with a moldy bit of crest sandwich which she accepted and then closed the door with him and the book out in the hall. He sat down outside her door and opened it to the pictures. Charity walked to the bed. She rested her head back on the pillow and for the moment felt trapped, trapped in her pounding headache in this house. She closed her eyes and fell quickly asleep. Ivy Anna rushed to Maisie and embraced her. Maisie didn't hug back. Even now, she really wasn't into that. Maisie, she exclaimed. He got you too? She slumped to the floor. I was asleep in my bed and he came through the window. My parents didn't stop him, Maisie. They didn't do anything. She grabbed her knees and rocked back and forth. When are they going to rescue me? Where are my parents? He took Matilda. Who? Maisie asked. Coldfinger, that gross man, that stinky abomination. He dragged me in here and took Matilda. At night he walks the halls with his rusty shovel pick. He uses to move the coal. He drags it down the walls at night to keep us awake and scared. I haven't slept, Maisie. It's not just him, though. There's another one. His boss. They walk the halls together at night. Coldfinger dragging his shovel pick and the matron of this place, the warden of Ludlow. I hear the other kids whisper about her. The long keys, they call her. Brittle teeth. 
She carries the keys to Ludlow on her belt on a long chain, and they make noises as they jingle, and she chatters her false teeth. Together it's unbearable, all night, Maisie, up and down the halls. Some kids are forced to work in the coal, and others, they just... She sobbed. Sure enough, in the distance, a chain and dragging. It got closer and closer. Maisie huddled with Ivy in the corner. The key into lock. The door flung open. Colefinger stood there in his rags, coal ash falling onto the floor. Black stains wherever his fingers had been. He held a large set of pliers in his hand. Behind him, just visible in the dark, cracked false teeth and a face with cold eyes. Hair done up in a tight bun. A slight chatter. Colefinger dragged his lame foot over to the girl chained to the wall, still and unmoving this whole time. He yanked her head back and Maisie saw a sweet face. Her large eyes opened. She was emaciated, void of resistance. Colefinger shoved a dirty finger into her mouth and opened it. He felt around her gums until he found one remaining front tooth on the top row. Told ya she still had one left. He smiled a crooked smile into the hall. He whipped the pliers around, grabbed onto the tooth. The girl whimpered and Colefinger yanked it out of her jaw with a twist and a crack. She yelped and immediately cowered into herself onto the floor. Her chain rattled. Colefinger held the tooth up, proud of himself. He showed it to Brittle Teeth and then dropped it into a tin bucket with a clank and shook it around with some others. The other girls recoiled in horror. Colefinger looked at Maisie. Don't get too comfortable, new fish. You've got some work coming. He coughed up and spit on the floor and then closed the door behind him. Maisie rushed to the chain girl, too weak to even cover her mouth. She found the one tattered blanket in the room and wrapped her in it. Are you okay? What's your name? Maisie asked. Antiquity. The girl replied in terrible pain. Maisie ripped the bottom of her nightshirt and wadded it into Antigone's jaw to stop the bleeding. Ivy looked out the small window to the outside courtyard. First they work you, then when you can't work they take your parts, and when that's over, she pointed out to a small series of gravestones in the yard, then it's out there. Antigone, you're going to be okay, Maisie said. She looked at Iviana. We're all going to be okay. Are we going to be okay? First life works us, then takes our bits, and then it's out to the courtyard. Stolen out into the night from our safe warm beds, thrust into an unforgiving world to become cogs in the machinery. And who comforts us? Where are those lifelong friends we can fight our deepest secrets? The ones we swore to protect? Are they locked in hope chests? Lost in some drawer? Thrown into a pile used and unwanted? Will Maisie be able to escape with the other girls? Will Viola find what she's looking for? Is Charity just hung over, or is she trapped in an unforgiving house filled with pretty baubles, but slowly stealing bits of her patience and sanity with every sip of mock turtle soup? Will the society people mill her down until she too could be drowned in a teacup? Stuff some cotton in your ears. As you close your weary eyes, ignore the sound in the distance, 
the sound of menace and chattering teeth in the next episode of Celine. Would you like a ticket to enjoy the revelry of Moon Knight Affair? Our Patreon is a place where you can see all the sordid savagery and indecent decadence of the mysteries of our fair city. Want some answers for once? Solve the mysteries and share never-before-heard stories, music, and spectacle. Come be a part of Moonlight Affair, Silent Treatment, and Selene with the other spirits again and 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 again. And again.